This week on Colby Howard Wants Your Job, we're going behind the scenes with a cattle ranch manager. Stefan Selberg manages the Las Cumbres Ranch about an hour north of Santa Barbara, California. This one was absolutely fascinating. All the different types of cattle there are, why they chose to raise the ones they did, and what happens when there's a wildfire ripping through California. How do they protect all their animals? Tune in, learn more. This is Colby Howard Wants Your Job. Hit subscribe so you don't miss a new job every other week. You and I, we're learning together. Let's dive in. Hello, 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 and welcome to Colby Howard Wants Your Job, the show where we find out what the heck everyone else does with their day. As always, I'm Colby Howard. Today, we have a very special guest, unanimously voted the MVP at my wedding. <laughs> Magna cum laude graduate of UC Santa Cruz and a former music producer in LA. He's had a journey, but now most importantly for this conversation, the ranch manager of Las Cumbres Ranch about an hour north of Santa Barbara. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Stefan Selbert. Hello, Stefan. How are you? Colby, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. First question. I just didn't realize this at all. Are you actually near Vandenberg uh, Air Force Base? Right next to it. We can see the rockets go off from the ranch. Or maybe, are we touching it anywhere? No, we're about one ranch away from it. So, so it's you're very seeing close. like all of Elon's rockets going straight up into space. Yep, they shake the house. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do the cows think about that? I don't care. It's like nothing. Cows are pretty chill about most things. Because there's cows around us everywhere, so nobody... No, but everybody's kind of used to it. Sometimes it's scary when they launch them in the middle of the night and you don't know they're going to launch them and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you go, oh yeah, it's probably Elon at two in the morning. It's probably <laughs> <Perfect>. Elon. <laughs> where's he going? So where's, where's Elon going? Is he stealing your cows? The question <laughs> that I have to start with, considering the only context that most of us have for a ranch is Yellowstone. And so I think the question everyone has is are there any murders on your ranch or are you an anti-murder ranch oh i got stuff to tell you about that not on my ranch but there's <laughs> no everybody here is pretty cool with each other like i'm friends with my neighbor monteghetti on the left and then farini on the right and then will mccarthy's up in front of us and then the Lompoc oil fields are behind us all the families are pretty tight too so i see farini at lunch a lot but Funnily enough, I do have friends that ranch where there are no people, and they carry guns. <laughs> it's, it gets kind of like Yellowstone, which is wild. Those guys have stories. But luckily for us, we're in an ag place where everybody kind of knows each other. Everybody's friendly. Today, some bulls from our neighbor got on our property, so we just put them back. Told them, hey, you got your bulls came out. We're going to fix the fence. And he's like, all right, I'll send a guy over. So it's cool. A bull comes onto your property. First of all, how do you know it's on your property? Is it just coincidence? Because you got a lot of acres. And two, how do you get a bull back onto someone else's property? So everybody kind of imagines that bulls are violent. That's not really the case. Most cattle are pretty docile. Or if they are have feelings about people, it's usually fear, and they'll usually run away. So you'll move them using their herd instinct to easily push them back to where they need to go. 
we can get into that in a sec, but basically we knew they were there because we were going back to set pasture. So dividing up a pasture and fixing one. And we looked and we saw that there was grazing and fresh dung from cows. So one of my guys, Lino, went and he called me. He said, hey, they're over here. We're going to move them over. No problem. Not a big deal. Just give them back. Interesting. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's back all the way up. Let's do it. I, I wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and I shower and either I get on the couch and start working if I'm working from home or I get on a subway, go to an office, sit there for eight hours a day and come back. Yep. When you wake up, what is it that either you are doing because something has come up or you have planned to do because you have some strategic vision for the farm? Like, what does a day look like for you? That's a great question. So I wake up around 6, sometimes 5.30, get up, tend to stare at my phone for a bit, which is terrible, and I need to stop. And I get up, I get ready, I go out, and I'll go down to the barn, check in with everybody, make sure everybody's doing what they need to be doing and they don't need help. Everybody kind of helps everybody at the ranch. There is no hierarchy. If somebody needs help, you help them. That's just kind of how we work, and it makes it easier because it's a team. Instead of somebody bossing people around and not really doing anything else or getting out of their truck ever. So I'm down at the uh, barn checking on everybody. I'll check on my horses, make sure they're good, see how they're doing temperament-wise, because usually when you let them out, you'll be able to tell if you're going to have to work a little bit harder that day or not. They'll like be bucking. Wait, hold on. So like, I walk in and I realize that my coworker is kind of in a bad mood. Like, yep. it's not going to end the day, but it's certainly not going to make my day easier. Is that basically what a horse, what you're talking about for your horses? Yeah, so we've been implementing the horses. I want to do everything with them because it makes it way more fun. It's a little bit more work, but then it's less gas. It's all of these other benefits. It's better for the ground. You can go everywhere. You don't have to stick to the roads. So hopefully they're doing good. Most of the time they're doing good. I ride them a lot, so they're very calm and ready to go. But yeah, if my, my day will be longer in the sense that I'll have to... If they're feeling energetic or in a mood, it means they need... They have too much energy and they need to be worked because they're anxious. So you'll run up a hill or do whatever you need to get the bucks out and then get to work. And so you just, you're on that horse and you mm -hmm. are riding around to do what? So mostly it's move cows. Sometimes it's go and check on pasture and plan out how we're going to subdivide it. If I'm lucky, I get to be on the horse most of the day. A lot of times that doesn't happen and we have to fix stuff or we have to build fences. I'm trying to build a saddle that like I can put on my other horse. So <laughs> he's kind of like a pack mule and he'll pack horse and he'll take everything. He's not stoked about that, but it doesn't matter. Um, so basically, uh, if I'm moving cows or if I'm getting ready to move cows is I'll get up, check on the horses, make sure everybody's ever doing everything. I'll get the horse ready maybe around nine, take it break down a fence, push the cows into the next pasture. Or if I'm lucky, they'll just be ready to go and they'll move. And then I don't have to push them. I can just call them in and I'll take the horse back. And then I won't have to move cows till three. And then I'll just put the horse out in pasture with the other horse or I'll put him back in his stall and then go work on the other stuff I need to do. If I can do it on horseback, I'll take the horse and do it on the horse. If I'd have to like do uh, mechanical stuff, I'll take our big tractor and like move stuff with that. But Basically, a day is coming down, checking on everything, getting the horse ready, moving cows, coming back, 
doing what I need to do, getting back on the horse in the afternoon if I can. If I have enough time to do it, I'll do it. I try to get them out every day. Uh, if I don't, I'll just do it walking, which is also fine. It's just a little bit more sweat. And then I'll come back, and then it'll be around 3. I'll feed the horses, put the horses back, let them chill, put them on pasture so they calm down, feed the horses. And I'll see what else I have to do if it's picking up the eggs from the chicken coop, putting the pigs and goats away, probably be around 3 or 4 by then. And then usually I'll go up get to shower, and then turn on the irrigation around 7 for the irrigated pastures, and then come back to the house. Just to get a sense of what exactly we're looking at, because when mm -hmm. I think about a ranch, I I don't know, it could be in any different state, which it could look a little bit more flat and desert-like. It could be super lush. What When we think about Las Cumbres, actually, by the way, let's just uh, let's let's keep this going. Let's put that right there. <laughs> There you go. Hell yeah. We're going we're gonna to awesome. promote this a little bit more. What is the acreage of your ranch? Mm -hmm. And what is the topography? And what are the types of things that grow on that ranch? Oh, there's so much stuff that grows. I could go deep into that. But let's start with the acreage. It's about 1,000 acres. It is mostly mountains and hills. There is very little flat ground. 7% of it is flat ground. So it's mostly intense hills or in, in the middle 200 acres is mountains. So those we don't really deal with. We'll have a big set pasture that's about 200 acres that we don't fence just because it's straight up and down mountains. The rest of the stuff is fenceable. It's a lot of the inclines are around 25%. So you fall a lot when you're rolling up fences, but it's basically like that. It's very steep and mountainous for the stuff that we do. The stuff that's growing, there's so much stuff that grows on the ranch. Uh, my favorite grasses, we can start with that. One of them is giant wild rye. It's a massive perennial plant, meaning that it doesn't seed or doesn't die when it seeds, so it keeps living. It can get to 10 feet tall or higher. It's huge. That's probably one of my favorite grasses, and the cows love it. it stays green basically all year. Uh, lots of elderberry trees, lots of oaks. California buckwheat is a shrub that's really cool that we have. It's called buckwheat. I don't know why. It's a shrub, but it's beautiful pastel flowers. You've got this ranch, and we can go in a little bit to, I know there's a the story of what it was and what it now is in regenerative farming. You guys exist as a farm to create healthy cows to then create meat for people? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the cycle of thing? You chose a thing. In this case, I think it's cows, and then that thing then becomes meat, or like, how does what's the whole purpose of the farm? We have something called the holistic context, which is basically a business plan of how you want to run your business socially, economically, and environmentally. For us, that included this specific breed of cattle, doing meat as well as breeding for pedigree breeding. So, like, people will use them on their herds, and we've sold a lot of animals like that. We have a beautiful space so we can have events. Uh, we also have chickens. We have 200 hives for honey. We're about to get 200 more just because of how much it's producing. So we have all of these different things that are diversifying our sources of income. And the purpose with the breed is there's nothing better than a brown cow on a California grassland. That's as simple as it gets. It looks so pretty. 
So not only do they look good, but they taste great and they have all of these quality, qualities that fit into our holistic context, our plant. So all of these things come together and that's basically why we chose these animals. You need livestock to regenerate land. It is part of a system. The grasses and the forbs and the legumes and all of those plants evolved with a grazing animal. And we always forget that. So most of the ground is covered in Mediterranean climate where it's a dry, wet season. And these animals are so integral to that ecosystem and that environment. And that's what most of the world is covered in. That's why there used to be so many massive herds of animals that used to roam the United States. And when you, not to get, this is like probably one of the douchier analogies I could make, but I love it. You could start a company and it's you're starting something from absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Or you could buy a company that is down on its luck and see the potential to turn it around. It seems like that you guys, you and your family saw a farm and either by accident or on purpose at some point realized there the bones there were incredibly healthy or could be made healthy again and there was something here is that generally the the arc of how this happened my parents wanted to retire that's what happened they weren't looking to do work ever again Too bad. they were done <laughs> <laughs> and then we all learned about regenerative agriculture and we're like oh man I think we got to do this. For me, especially, uh, and people in our generation, we've been told that there's nothing we can do for the environment. It's We're stuck with what we got. We can't fix it. And that, in 2019 is when I first heard about it. That was the first time I heard that we could actually fix it. So I was basically fully in. I had to live in LA and do a little bit more stuff before I came back. But I was fully in at that point. And so was my entire family. So now my parents went from, they were about to be retired and now they're working every day. We all work every day now, <laughs> but we love it. <laughs> what was your day in 2019 to 2020? Like how has the, your day progressed as the farm progressed and gotten from, it sounds like desiccated to what is a very healthy, vibrant environment. I was working as an engineer for a long time in LA. I worked for Kanye West. I was one of the engineers and audio guys or whatever for the Sunday service. So I dealt mostly with the choir, which was surprisingly really, it wasn't surprisingly, it was a lot of fun. Those guys are awesome. And so I would sure. do whatever they needed from recording to like, do, I even planned some rehearsals. I have no idea how to do that. I just like got roped into doing it and was like, <laughs> all right. But yeah, so I did that, which was fun. It was very weird work where you would be called in the middle of the night or at two in the morning and be, hey, you're going, you need to get to the airport in a couple hours, you're going to Georgia, you're going to Atlanta. So go hop on the plane with everyone and go. It would be a few days a month, but it would be 24 hour cycles. So you wouldn't stop working until it was over. So you'd have to stay Jesus. up a lot. You'd have to take naps <laughs> sitting up. People couldn't tell. <laughs> I did that a couple of times. Nice. That mentality of go, go, go is effective on a ranch. So it was helpful to be like, all right, now we're doing this. It's a little bit different. It's more cathartic. You're doing more physical labor, which I will take over a thousand times than sitting in front of a computer. So it was more that kind of stuff, but those kind of skills applied. So when the cowboy who was working here, who was working here had to go home because he had to take care of his ranch in Arkansas, my mom was like, hey, do you want to come full time? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd love to. 
So then I got rid of everything in LA, moved up here, and just <laughs> started working every day. But I mean, that's that's an, that's an absurd concept. Like you have to understand, <laughs> like anyone here, and it's not that no one could figure it out, but like you're going from not working on a ranch, being in in what most people consider real life. Um, <laughs> actually, no, most city people would consider real life to all of a sudden you have to just do ranch things. Like how does, how does that even work? Well, I grew up on a ranch until I was, my parents ran an avocado farm until I was nine. So I learned how to ride horses mm-hmm. and do everything there. So I had like a decent background and I knew about some agriculture stuff and dealing with horses and taking care of horses and stuff. So I had a little bit of background in that. Then when I learned about regenerative agriculture, there's not that many books on it. So I just read all of the ones I could find. And then I made value by learning all this stuff. And I brought that to the table. And I was like, all right, this is what they say to do. What do you guys want to do? And we also got so lucky because right when my mom got into it, Roger Sabry, he's a regenerative guy and he's hardcore. And he, he's been doing this his entire life. He came and me and him were together every day. And he was just giving me all his secrets. He's just like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to know. This is what you do here. This is this situation. This is how you build electric fence, plan about doing it like this, and all of this stuff. So I learned a bunch of stuff in a short period. But what's so interesting about this work is that the experience of doing it is the only way you learn, and very few people do it. And it's also incredibly hard to switch it from being a conventional person doing conventional ranching to switch to this kind of ranching because it's so much more management intensive. It's a completely different way of thinking. So lucky for me, I had no clue about conventional ranching and I was willing to learn everything and make stupid mistakes and test. And it worked great. It worked out great. My whole family was lucky that we didn't really know what we were doing. Your, your feedback loop... So not only are you getting onto horses and you're moving cows around, that's the thing you immediately know if it worked or not. A cow was here and now a cow is there. Like, I did good. When you're thinking about, I have a piece of land that is not growing anything and I need to figure out what cows, type of cows of the, and I would love to list, uh, a la Forrest Gump, all, all the different types of cows um, that you could possibly <laughs> choose from. But what, what type of grass? Um, how long do they stomp on this pasture? Like, you're not going to know the results of that for another, what, four months? Like, how do you, when the beginning, how did you understand what was working and what wasn't? So the first step we did was a common step people do when they switch is we sold off. No, the gr- land was being leased to graze by our neighbor. And he only had a few cows. I think he had 30 or 35. So he, we ended, that lease was coming to an end. So once it ended, we immediately started building the infrastructure that you need to do this kind of grazing. In that time, we were resting the ranch. We were giving it time to grow, right? Which is really important. As we were building the infrastructure, uh, it took about a year and a half to finish everything. We started looking into cows and just learning about all the different breeds and all the benefits. All the breeds have cool things about them. Like Holsteins have super large milk production. That's great if you want to do milk. Uh, Anguses are big and they have large backs, so that means they have big T-bones, which is the filet in the uh, New York put together on the spine. Herefords, the classic cow that has the white face, it's kind of fuzzy with the brown coloring, 
they grow really fast. Shorthorn have really well, good temperament and easy management in their, their docile. Wagyu have incredible marbling. All of these breeds have all of these qualities that are super cool. Boss Indicus, the Brahmin don't need to drink much water. We did research and we found out about this breed called Bonsmara. The breed is perfect for what we want to do. They have a herd instinct, which means they naturally like to stick together. They have a really thick skin, which means that they are tick resistant and most diseases in cattle are passed through ticks. They have really small babies, so that means we don't have to help in birthing. They deal with it all themselves. They have a really, really good tasting meat and tender meat. And then they have all the qualities that come in with the mix of, they call it hybrid vigor. It's a composite breed of shorthorn, Afrikaner, which is the main base of a cow from Africa, and then Hereford. So they had all of these, it gets crazy. I know, I could go into cows so deep. <laughs> but basically, they, this cow fit exactly what we wanted to do, and we loved the way it looked. So we're like, all right, easy pick. And so far, it's done great. How yeah. did you buy the, like, do you order from a catalog? How does Stefan buy a cow? So we started getting in contact with all of the breeders who had this cow. There's only a few of us in America. There's one. I'll count all of us. I think there's around 10 of us. And we're all friends now. Nobody, this breed is very unknown. It's really popular around the world where there's big cattle production, like South Africa, Brazil, Argentina, where they do big cattle. But here it's not big because... The way they were imported was a little bit eh, like, I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but they were able to get through the loopholes to get them in um, because of the laws that surround importing livestock to America. We can basically export livestock anywhere, especially cattle, but they cannot import into us. Nobody can because of something called foot and hoof and mouth disease is what it's called. That's why this breed didn't really come to the United States. And the guy who brought the breed didn't want anybody else to have them. So he kept a tight hold on it until recently when other, he started, the people who he gave cows to started growing herds. So basically, that's why this cow isn't popular. And now we picked it. And so far, the reaction to the meat and the breeding and the bulls that we've sold has been incredibly well received. Mainly because they eat brush. <laughs> and a lot of cows don't do that. What do they eat? Oh, they'll eat anything. All and everything, they find nutritional value in it. People, like our neighbor, just bought one. We sold a whole herd that went from uh, here in California to Oklahoma in a snowstorm. They all did great. I don't know why, but that's, again, that hybrid vigor. Interesting. They have Hereford. They have that uh, Boss Taurus breeding, breed in them, which can survive lots of cold weather. There's also a herd of them in Namibia that don't drink water for three days. <laughs> They're really well adapted because of the large form of genetics that they have in them. The guy who invented it, uh, Dr. Jan Bonsma, his main quote and what he's known for saying is man must measure. And so he developed a breed, I think he started in 1937. I think it became an bre official breed in 1962. And so all of his work and everybody he worked with has been working so hard to do all of this stuff to make this breed and it happened to be close by so we were like this is perfect and we chose them and they're so pretty i'll send you pictures i've shown you pictures i'll send you more <laughs> there are fantastic cow content on yeah. the Las cumbres <laughs> socials so there is no lack of cow content you went into this and now you've gotten a farm like you spent it sounds like you spent your days both 
doing the manual labor, but also how do you research? How do you learn something new, especially when it hasn't been done enough for there to be a playbook? And you have advisors come on, and now you're, let's say, four or five years in to creating what you think it could be. What's what does this farm look like in four years? You got to come and find out. Or what does a ranch um, look like? Dream is way more cows, much higher stocking density. So it'll look way more grass, way more cows, way more everything, more diversity. That's what it'll look like in the future. But I've found that if you're, this is going to sound funny, but if you're opening to open to listening to everybody, you find these little bits of information that directly apply to you. I learned something from Alejandro Carrillo where he told me you need rest. You don't have enough rest. You're not leaving your pastors for long, long enough before you come back to them. If you do that, that's when you'll get everything to grow. And so now we don't come back to a pasture for almost, I think it's around 500 days. It's over a year that we leave a pasture alone before we come back to it as they slowly rotate around the rest of the ranch. We'll only graze once a year, basically. And that made a huge difference on how we manage and the fact that we never have to feed again. Billy Finan, a famous rancher from Mexico, funny name, but Roger told me that Billy, when he went down to Mexico and he started ranching, what he did is he would only keep cows that fit this certain requirement, where if they didn't calve every year, he would get rid of them. If you did that, that means you're only keeping cows that can grow nutritionally all throughout the year, be able to find nutritional value because they need to be on a rising plane of nutrition to have a baby and get pregnant. And then he has cows that know how to eat cactus. Like, so because of this thing that he did, he was able to find cows that did this. So all of this stuff has really cool information. And who would have thought that some of the coolest advice I would get was somebody who practices the exact style opposite, opposite of ranching that we do. Like, it's just, you never know when the, the information that applies to you is going to come. And that's, again, part of that holistic thing. Every, everything has value. Diversity has value. When you think about... There's a day that you planned on having. Mm -hmm. There's a day that you were going to move around some cows and you're going to pick up some chickens and you're going to turn on the irrigation. What are emergencies that come up on a day-to-day -day basis that you have to deal with? So for us today, the bulls being on our property wasn't an emergency, but it was something that needed to be put to the front of the list and then be dealt with. While that was happening, the cows also needed to move and be back-fenced so they couldn't go back to a spot. So we let the guys start doing that. We've started moving the cows. And before we had to go back and help, they said they had already gotten it done. So that didn't affect us. Emergencies that come up will just go to the forefront. If, uh, let's say, a cow got gassy, we'd figure out why it happened. And the reason is because the temperature switched so drastically that the grass on the ground started uh, decomposing. It's something called blue rock. This is this one I learned from a guy from Texas who worked on nuclear plants for the army. Like, that's what his job was. I got to look him up. He's a cool guy. But he was saying that that happens because the cows will eat the grass that's starting to rot. And then they'll get the wrong bacteria in their one of their four stomachs. And because it's the wrong one, it'll be able to proliferate rapidly and cause gas expansion. So just because the temperature switched so drastically, the grass became poisonous. And so... Now that if we know or if we feel temperature switching really fast, emergency, we'll go move out, we'll figure out where the cows are, and we'll put them in the shade just to mitigate that. You just said cows have four stomachs? Yeah, including their <laughs> mouth. 
Wait, what do you mean they're including their mouth? Their mouth is a stomach? So they, yeah, because they, they could do something called rumination where they throw up, burp the stuff. That's why people are so worried about cow burps because of the methane that comes out of it. But they throw up stuff back in their mouth and then they chew it again and then swallow it again. I, I can send you the diagram, but basically they use it again to um, process food even more. Jesus. Also, another weird fact, cows don't have teeth on the top. They don't have top teeth. They only have teeth Sorry, on the bottom. What? How do you chew? They have side teeth. So they take, they just gap, big gap right here where their tongue goes out. Their tongue goes out as they go down. Their tongue wraps around the grass, presses it against their teeth, and then they rip it like that. Jesus. <laughs> also, bulls and cows can have horns. Some people I, don't know that one. There's just, there's, there's so much. I don't even. What happens if there are wildfires in California? Mm -hmm. How are you guys managing that threat? Or is there anything you can do? Oh, yeah. So all people around us, we get something called an ag pass, which means we can go, the firemen will let us into our ranches during a fire so we can take care of our livestock. And so you do like a short course where they tell you about where you don't want to be and fire and all that stuff. So basically we have irrigated pasture in the front. If there's a fire, we'll go round up the cows and immediately bring all of the cows, all of the horses, all of the bulls into a big herd into the front so they have enough grass and it's green. So it'll be wet because it's irrigated and it won't burn. So that's our plan. So if there's a fire, we, everybody immediately goes, everybody who has an ag pass. So me and the guys, me and two other guys, Jose and Lino would go get all the animals, leave them here and then dip as quick as we could out, figure out that, make sure they're safe. They have water, they have salt, they have their grass. And then we go. But if you have a thousand acres, what if mm -hmm. that bull, what if those cows are like 500 acres away? I don't even know if there's a right way to say the distance. Like you then have to ride out. And how long does it take to get those cows back to the irrigated part? So cows are smart. They will go away from the fire. It's just their instinct. They'll know when it's coming. They'll know what they need to do. So they'll usually be ready to go where they need to go. We have lots of pastures and lots of road systems that the cows all know. They've been here for years, so now they know all of the roads and the paths we take them. So they'll naturally either go to the top of a mountain where there's a fire break, because they know what they're doing, or if they're in a valley, we'll move them to the irrigated part in front. If that was the case and there was a fire, I probably wouldn't take my horse out. That sounds like it would be a nightmare. And I don't want to lose a horse. So I'd put him <laughs> on the irrigated stuff and I'd get in the car. I'd get in something that has a window. And I'd drive, find the cows, and then start moving them. I don't need to try, I don't need to use a horse to do that. We have lots of road systems, so to me I wouldn't I'm not as ballsy to take a horse out in that just because I don't want to lose a horse. And depending on, and the, if the fire, sometimes the fireman won't let you in because the fire is already too strong. And that's happened before. That happened to one of our friends where they lost a big part of their horde because of the fire that they couldn't even enter their ranch. So as we wrap this up, what does Stefan in five years want to be doing? What does that look like for you? I got to remember that I'm doing like, this is my dream. Like sometimes I think it's like, what would I do if I made a a bunch of money doing something. What would I do is I'd buy more cows and buy and have a ranch. So I just want, <laughs> Stefan is doing the same exact thing, ranching, and I just have way more cows. That's the dream. That's the dream, man, more cows. Simple as that. Maybe more land too. That would be cool. But yeah, more cows for sure. <laughs> so how do you get, from a business perspective, how are you mm -hmm. getting more cows? It's just like all these revenue streams that are just allowing you to invest and buy more cows. Is that essentially it? Okay, I've, I've always wanted to do this, but 
all livestock is kind of has different properties. Pigs are kind of like stocks. If people want them, they go quick and they produce very heavily. They can have, they have 12 babies. They can have multiple rounds of 12 babies a year. They sell for a little bit less, but they produce so quickly and everybody loves pork. Cattle mm -hmm. are like a bank account. They slowly grow over time as they have more and more animals. So as we breed them or they get bred, then we have a calf and then our herd grows. It's a slow build. So it's, they're already going to be naturally growing as we breed them and stuff. So no matter what the cow, we're going to have more cows. We're going to be breeding more cows and create a bigger herd. As we're doing that, because of the management system we're doing, we're going to have more grass. So it'll be a relationship of the two. If you're managing them right, you'll get more. If you have a, um, what is it, not crop of chickens. If you have, what do you, what do you, uh, a bundle of chickens? A flock of chickens? Is it a flock? I would say flock. I don't know. We have a few, but. Flock feels yeah, right. I, I would say flock of chickens. If you, but you have to usually integrate a new chicken into a flock of chickens if it's like small. But do you have to, when you, if you were to buy a new cow right now, same type of cow, is it like risky to integrate a new cow into that? herd of cows no uh but we have a closed herd now so i won't buy any more cows i sold all the cows that didn't fit our standard got it and now we're breeding within those herds and we use artificial insemination so we have semen from other bulls that we know are tested and good and then we're able to increase our genetics that way as well so basically if a per a, we don't i don't vaccinate anymore either so i, I keep my cows away from other cows just because they're, it's just different. You have all of this stuff that happens when you have a closed herd. So we have a closed herd that'll grow from within. Gotcha. Final question. What is your, of the past week, mm -hmm. what's been your favorite thing that's happened? Ooh, good question. Last week, so this last week on Wednesday, I went to the back corner of the ranch because I was just doing the Roger comes once a year to see how we're doing. And he was very happy with everything that was going on. When we went to a corner and there was a, it was mostly fillery, which is a, is a, is a four plant that looks it's called stork built to it as a big seed. It's okay for it. It's not great. And there's, there's a lot in California. We went back to a pasture that was terrible last year. Like it was, nothing was growing. And within all of the dead stuff, there was orchard grass, rye, and all of these really, really good grasses growing that were green while everything else was charcoal brown. That was the best. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, how is this here? It didn't make any sense to me, and it still doesn't. And that's kind of what makes me excited is because I don't really get nature. Like as much as I want to try to understand it and as much of the reading as I've done and all of the grasses and plants that I know, it still doesn't make sense to me why that specific grass would grow there at this time and be fully green and seeding. So that's, that, that was probably my favorite thing that happened this week is seeing that. That was See, wild. You've got a thousand acres of nature surprises every day. <laughs> yes, we do. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. Stefan, I'm sure, I'm sure people want another whole hour just hearing about Kanye's Sunday service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do another one. It's fun. Good to see you. Dude, it's great fun. to see you. Thank you for taking the time. People, I'm sure, will be fascinated by what it is you guys are building, what you do every day. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Stefan Selbert, ranch yes. manager of Las Cumbres. Stefan, where can they find the Las Cumbres socials? 
Uh, we are Las Cumbres Ranch on Instagram, TikTok, and all that stuff. I post lots of fun videos. We also have a website, lascumbresranch.com, where you can sign up for the newsletter, and then we'll tell you what we got going on here, and also when we have meat for different occasions. The meat Love we sell that. off the ranch is really special, so we only do that through me. And we have other ranches that we work with that have Bons Mara that do the same practices in California, but that's different that you can buy differently. But the stuff from our ranch is special, and you'll see why. I got to bring you some, Colby. It's, you'll see. You remember that Florentine steak? This is better. That's <laughs> a strong statement. If you want to see a just a beautiful, almost softcore pornographic spread of uh, beautiful pictures of Stefan in cowboy gear in Santa Barbara magazine, look that up. But other than yep. that, we will talk later. Stefan, thank you for hopping on the pod. Thank you for having me, Colby. So good to see you and congratulations. <laughs>